This morning our text is found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and it's verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. I did just want to remind you we have um, one project that we're working on right now um, as a church. So this is for, for our church. If you're a guest, you can just let this pass over. Um, but we are in, um, oc we occupy this wonderful space um, that God has provided for us. And just under two years, our, our, our lease is expiring. So we're praying right now about what that's going to mean. And hopefully, we, we actually, part of me hopes to stay. And we, um, but our goal is, even if we do stay, to basically renovate um, our space um, so that we can fit more chairs and just accommodate more people. And um, so if you um, recall, we're just, we're having, uh, we have an initiative to sort of prepare for that. So if you recall, I just want to remind you of that, um, to um, participate, prayerfully consider the uh, way ways that you might participate. And if you're a little confused about what I'm talking about, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, there is also some, some signage in the back with some information and envelopes that I'll put under there if you, ha if you um, have no clue of what I'm talking about. But just be praying for that because we want, we want life to just multiply in our midst. Um, we want to see people come to know Jesus and people that do know Jesus um, to have victory of life, um, to, to get over hang-ups that maybe we've, we've been carrying for much too long. So just be praying for me with that and um, consider how the Lord might lead you. Um, I, I have a little project right now. I want to ask you a question, and I need you to participate. Okay. So when I was young, um, a boy, and I think this is a common question that we're all asked, um, that the question is basically, what do you want to do when you grow up? Right. My wife was asked that question, I, I guess she was about 10. She was a small child, and she said she wanted, when she grew up, to be a digger. I don't even know what she means. I don't know if she meant, <laughs> meant a grave digger. That's a little creepy. Um, but she wanted to dig dirt and make holes for a living when she, grow, she grew up. So that was, that was her ambitions, her chief ambitions as a young child. So I want you guys to just kind of shoot out. If you can you know, go back into the annals of your memories when you were a small child, give me some things that you thought you wanted to do when you grew up. Want to be a t I heard teacher. What was that, Mike? You wanted to be an astronaut. You wanted to save the environment. What was I heard? Nursery. You wanted to be a nur like a nursery worker. What did you say, Morgan? You wanted to be the president. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we all have different ways that we've answered that question, right, throughout our lives. And 
you know, as we grew up as children, I'm sure that answer that question, the answer to that question had, had probably had changed um, multiple times. I went online to see, like, what are kids saying now? Like, computer engineer, this is the modern world, you know? Do they want to be an influencer on Instagram? Like, is that the top answer? Well, one, <laughs> one, you know, actually, surprisingly, very, very similar. Um, one person said they wanted to be a cashier, a teacher, train dolphins. Doesn't that sound exciting? Um, when I was 15, I'm similar to Morgan. Um, this was I was getting a little older now. I wanted to be a politician, um, and prior prior to that, I guess I kind of am. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so. Uh, prior to that, I, honestly, I don't remember. I thought about this long and hard the other day. I was like, what did, you know, if you ask 10-year-old Kyle what I wanted to be, I just don't remember. I don't recall the, the answer to that question. I'm sure it was something great, though. Um, but I, I know this, though, and this is very common, um, even to this day. When you ask a child that question, there's a certain answer that you don't expect from them. Um, it's an answer I never gave, um, and it's one, interestingly, that the scriptures tell us to aspire to over and over again. So when I, w when I was young, and I don't recall having a s the vision of my life and the future of my life demonstrating what our scripture text tells us this morning. I never said, when I grow up, I want to be kind. I want to be humble when I grow up. I want to be loving and forgiving and patient and thankful we don't imagine if a nine-year-old responded like that. I think we would be shocked to hear such wisdom and profundity from such a young mind. I never said, I want, when I grow, grow up, to make all my decisions in Jesus' name. <laughs> and you know, it's, what's funny is when I consider this in my own heart, in my own thinking, something that I've learned so far in the short life that I've lived is that I really can't enjoy all the other answers that I've given until I have those things. I can't enjoy any vocations or accomplishments or relationships. And when I grow up, I want to be married or I want to be a, a fighter pilot, whatever the answer might be. Those things sort of just don't satisfy us in a meaningful way if I don't have the virtues described, if I'm not a patient person, a kind person, a loving person. All of those roles sort of just fall short of what I thought they would provide my weary soul. And our lives are driven by our accomplishments. Isn't that true? You know, we, we might have a different list, right, of the things that we sort of pride ourselves in. But much of our lives are driven by our own accomplishments rather than the attitudes of our heart that we have in our accomplishments. Isn't that true? The older I get... Sounds like I'm saying I'm like 80 years old. But, but the older I have been saved, I guess, a Christian for a while now. I've lived some life. But the older I get, I think, I think the simpler I, I've become. What, what do I want now? What do I want to be when I, want, when I grow up? Well, I just want to lo love people. I want to be a patient person. Because what does it matter if I'm a pastor or a lawyer or a garbage man if I'm, an, if I'm a cranky, impatient grump? What does it matter, right? And I can do any vocation in the world with that attitude and be miserable. Internally lost, bitter, and angry. So friends, it really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we've accomplished because that's no, no way to live 
internally in our life. And Jesus would agree, I think. He tells us in our text to take these things off and to put something else on. Right? An amazing illustration. He uses this illustration of clothing. Take this off and put this on in its place. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more this morning. He says, take off sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander. And who would disagree that, there's no, that that's no way to live? We wear those clothes every day. We wonder why, right? Of course we want to take those things off because they weigh us down and they rob us from real life. And that garment, don't those garments need to be removed? But some of us just don't know how to remove them just internally upset. We, sometimes we don't even know why. So this morning I want to talk to you about three things. The preparation for new life, the clothes for new life, and I want to talk to you about getting dressed, okay? Really, really deep stuff. Preparation for new life, the clothes of new life, and getting dressed. So let's, let's look at number one, the, pre- the preparation for, for new life. Most people, um, I think, would agree um, those clothes that we described before need to come off. Rage, anger, greed, malice, slander. Who wouldn't agree that love and peace and kindness is just a better quality of life to live? No one's going to disagree with that. But it's important to note here that Paul isn't simply telling us to stop doing dark, dirty things and to start being good. If that's, if that's what we think, if that's all we're getting out of this, then we're missing the point, the bigger picture. He's not simply telling us to stop being angry in our heart and to, stop and to start being kind in our heart. That simple goal, if, that was, if that's all Christianity was, then Christianity would be no different than any other religion or worldview. I don't know even a person who has no religion, who is maybe as secular and atheistic in their thinking, that would disagree that it's better to be kind and gentle than cranky and a jerk. Right? So if all Paul was giving us was just sort of like moral advice, it would be no different than any other advice that we've heard. Isn't that true? There's something deeper, something more important going on here that we need to pay attention to. You can become more gentle and kind, more pure and good, but why? Why are you becoming more gentle and more kind? Why are you taking off anger? If I stop lying, for example, if I'm a liar, like I just have this chronic habit of lying, and I, and I decide I need to stop doing that, why would I, what would be my motivation, you think? I might simply stop lying to show myself that I'm an honest person now. I'm good. To earn favor with people that I've lied to. To ultimately, I could be just impressed with my own virtue of honesty. Is that true? I could be, what I could be doing by becoming an honest person is trying to save myself from all the dishonesty that I previously have participated in. Do you see? So what am, I, what am I becoming now? I'm becoming my own savior. And the Bible says that your savior is your God. So you can, be a good, you can become a good person, a kind person, a gentle person, for yourself, for your own glory, and worship you over the Creator. You see, so there's still a problem. You still have missed a point, and I've missed a point. It's not just about becoming good. It's about becoming new. 
And that's over and over what the Bible again, what the Bible says. That it's not just here to make us kinder people, gentler people. It's to make dead people alive. It's to kill something, a false devotion, a false savior, what you thought you needed out of life, that, that um, dedication that you had to career or love or romance, whatever it might be, and to show yourself that you have been serving the wrong thing, that your origin and identity don't come from those, those things, but they come from the God of heaven and earth. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved... As God's chosen people, holy people, and dearly beloved people, now take these old clothes off and put new clothes on. Do you, want to, you see what he's saying here? He's talking to a specific group of people. He's not talking to just anybody. He's talking to people that have been chosen by God, that have been declared holy. That means that their sins have been forgiven and that they've been made right with God and dearly loved. He says, as this person now put on these things. So he's really describing an identity. Who are you? Are you loved already, holy already, chosen by God already? Because if you're not, you could change your clothes but still be serving a devil inside you. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved put on love and kindness before we can wear the clothes that that paul's describing in this passage in colossians we first need to be saved by god because we're far away from him in ephesians another place in scripture tells us this therefore remember that you were separate from christ foreigners to his promise You were without hope and without God because your sin remained on you and you were guilty and separate from God and the wages of sin is death. That that was your identity before faith in Jesus. But he says, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood. And when you have been brought near by grace as a gift to you, you that was because God chose you, declared you right with him, and dearly loved you. The blood of Jesus brought you near by grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That gift killed the old self, the old person that was far away from God and guilty and made you new. And it wasn't because you cleaned your nose and came to church. It was because God rescued you by his grace and by his love and favor. That gift is what makes us new. And as new people, Paul instructs us, don't put on old clothes. Put on the new clothes that are fitting to what God has made you to be already. Chosen, holy, dearly loved, already. Putting on the clothes of new life. Not to earn God's choosing us. He's not saying, put on these things so that maybe God will pick you. And put on these things because you can make yourself holy and God will accept you. Put on these things so that God will love you. It doesn't say that. It says, therefore, as God's people who are already chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God, you have it as an inheritance because of what Jesus did for you. You don't earn it. 
He says, now in this new identity with Christ, now put these things on. And doesn't that just free you to be good for goodness sake? Is that a Santa? I didn't even mean that. (laughs) To be good for the sake of goodness? To be kind for the sake of kindness? I didn't write that down, I swear, it just came out. We're putting on the clothes of new life, not to earn God's favor, but because we have it already. Isn't that great? What a great reversal. What a, what a wonderful way to live life. And isn't it sort of built into the way that we parent our children? We love our children not because they're, they make our bed. They, they make their beds in the morning. It doesn't help. If they, right? I mean, it does help, right? A little, if you're like, like me. But at the end of the day, that's not, we're not creating a set of rules. If you do these, kids, we'll love you. We love them already. They're ours, right? He has already freely given us these things, clothed us with these clothes by his absolute free and superabounding grace. Isn't that great news? You know, there's another place. And in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, it says, walk worthy of the call that you've been called. In other words, look like and experience what God has already declared to be so in your life. Now look like it. Copy it. Demonstrate it. So God declares you in Christ innocent of sin. So be innocent of sin. Wear different clothes. Wear the clothes of righteousness. God has lavished you with his his free free grace and superabounding love love him back love him in return love the one that loves you you know there's an earlier place in colossians that says that um that, that paul said that this church had already taken off their old self and put on a new self friends the moment that you come to God through Christ and what he's done for you and turned from your sins and believed in what Jesus has done. In that instant, you are new. You are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are innocent and loved already. The old self is taken off. The new self is put in its place. And the virtues that we're describing here are not a working for God's approval, but they're an ornament and God's children, who he approves of already because of what Jesus has done for us. So he decorates us with these kindnesses and works. And you know, friends, if we don't understand the grace of God in Christ and what he's done for us already, in our pursuit for peace, love, and kindness, and the various ways that we go after it, it will always just be out of reach. We'll never really know the security of Christ and what he's done for us. We'll try to find it in relationships. We'll try to find it in accomplishments. We'll try to get that peace and favor and love to become more virtuous like this describes. It'll just be out of reach. We're just kind of grasping it, but it's just a few inches away. So friends, don't just put on new clothes. Put on Christ. Don't just take these previous behaviors and make them different, more profitable behaviors. Understand what Jesus wants of you and from you and what he thinks of you and what he's done for you be made new first then dress yourselves with these new garments with these clothes of new life so that's the setting that's the context before we begin to dress ourselves 
We need to be made new by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? But once we're made new, Scripture says put on these three things, love, peace, and gratitude. So let's talk about now the close of new life. Love, peace, and gratitude. The first one that we're going to take a look at is love. It says in verse 12, Close, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Scripture here says, put on love like you would put on a coat. Wear it. Let it be what people see of you, the condition of your heart. Let that be the posture of your attitude toward the world around you. Clothe yourself with love. The greatest Christian virtue in Scripture is love. And isn't it the hardest to find and to live out? Love is, in Scripture, it's almost the way it's described here. It says, um, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And it's talk, talking about these other things, like it binds compassion, um, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, compassion. It says love binds those all together. And what it's saying is that without love, these things don't even exist. That they're impossible to find. So it's, it's sort of like if you can imagine like a cloud sort of being filled up with those water molecules and getting so filled, all of a sudden it starts to rain. <clears throat> and it's, it's like that cloud, that, that the cloud is sort of like love that drops the raindrops of kindness, gentleness, patience, and sort of waters the earth so that the earth might have life. But without the cloud, there are no raindrops to water the earth to give it life. You see, that's sort of what love is. Love is this energizing power that gives us the ability to actually be really genuinely kind and forgiving to each other. Without love, none of it works. Can we truly say, you know, Scripture tells us to love our enemies. Can we truly say that we love our enemies? You see, I love my mom right? I love my wife. I love my kids, right? And th th all, all they do for me is serve me and are kind to me, right? That's the kind of family that I have. They give me things. They make me food. She bought me this shirt, <laughs> right? You see, it's easy to love people that love us back, but scripture says love your enemy. Love your enemy. How do you do that? How do you pull that off like I love you I really love this person what is an enemy a, a, an enemy is a person that's hurt us that's attacked us that we have a grievance with robbed something from us enemies we don't love them we want to kill them <laughs> right we want them to poof away from the face of the earth that's what we do with enemies but to say that we genuinely love them, how is this possible? But friends, in Scripture, the, the Bible talks about love as the des descriptive quality that should sort of naturally and consequently fall out of a gospel heart. 
In other words, what I mean by that is when God saves you and loves you who were his enemy, when, you, when that really sinks in, you can begin to sort of give back that same compassion that was given to you. To love in the same way that God had loved you. I think a lot of times the difficulty is that we don't really believe that we were God's enemies at one point in our lives. That we've sinned against him and that sin was grievous. Because we think we're all, you know, we're just kind of all around good people and there's nothing wrong with me and I don't, you know, I'm not his enemy, right? But the, the scripture teaches us that we are. And that God saved us and loved us, not his friends, but his enemy. Love is the crowning virtue of life for the Christian. There's a lot of sort of other things that the Bible talks about here. Kindness. Kindness treats the world sort of predisposed with a, a sort of sweetness. There's a kindness that you treat people with. And it's not conjured. It's not fake. Right? We can be kind in a fake way. right? But we're not really kind in here. You know what I mean? Right? But that's not what, this isn't talking about being pretentious. Really kind. kind. Kindness treats the world predisposed with a sort of sweetness. Humility prefers another person before it prefers the self. It puts them first. It considers them more important than our, ourselves. See, it, that's, not, that's a complete reversal of the way that I've lived 39 years of my life. Most of our lives, we use people to get what we want, right? Isn't that true? Some of us even got married for that reason. We didn't want to be lonely, and we, w- we wanted to feel romance. So we got married for ourselves, not to serve another person till death do us part in good times and in bad. You see, friends, kindness, humility, gentleness, gentleness is delicately considering the rights and feelings of other people. We're gentle with people. There's this great word that if you pick up an old English translation of the Bible, they don't usually use the word patience. They use the word long-suffering. You heard this before? The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Because patience suffers long with a person. I like that because to be patient, there's a certain amount of discomfort that I feel. And I'm willing to feel that discomfort because I'm putting that person before myself. That's what patience is. Long-suffering. Friends, if we're proud, if we're harsh, if we're mean, if we're impatient, if we continually put ourselves first, I might suggest that we have a love problem. There's this other line in this scripture text. It says, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Okay, let's just sort of stop and think about this. He tells us to forgive like or in the same way that God has forgiven us. Okay, how has God forgiven us? It's a good question, right? If we're going to forgive like God forgives, then how has he forgiven us? How has the Lord forgiven us sinners? Well, he forgives us freely by grace as, un, um, as grace to people who are undeserving and unwilling. You know, Psalm 14 is this incredible psalm 
that's hard to read, but it describes the human condition. It says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, that, that all are corrupt, their deeds are evil, and there is none that does good, not even one. Isn't that hard to read? That is not 21st century doctrine, American doctrine. Scripture says that we, we have rejected God and, and, and simply served ourselves. We've served other gods. We've said, no, there is no God. I'm God, and I'm going to do my own will. That is the commentary of the psalmist toward all of humanity for all time. So friends, God didn't save us because he saw that we were a little better than other people. He didn't save us because he saw us seeking him. You see, friends, the, the, the scripture describes us as not seeking God, but being lovers of self and of pleasure and lust. And, and serving and worshiping everyone but him, loving everything but him. You see, friends, that's how God forgave us. That's who he forgave. So when scripture says, forgive each other as I forgave you, what is the implication that oftentimes the people we're called to forgive don't even think they need to be forgiven. Isn't that true? They think they've done nothing wrong. And it says, forgive them like I have forgiven you. How do you do this without love? He saved people, us, when we didn't think we even needed to be saved. He loved us when we loved everyone but him. And what does 1 John say, right, in the New Testament? We love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. You know, what we do oftentimes when someone sinned against us, we say, okay, I'll forgive you, but I'm waiting. Right? And what are we waiting for? For them to do the right thing, for them to acknowledge how much of a jerk they are, to pay us back, right? We wait. He said, I'm willing to forgive, but they got to pay, right? But how did Jesus forgive us? By grace through faith, right? As a free gift. And not only that, he paid it for us. He died it for us. He died the death we deserved. The money we owed, he paid. For us. You see, how can we forgive like this if there is no love in our hearts? His compassion, God's compassion, moved his choice, his choice, his decision to love you and to love me when I didn't even want it. I wanted everyone else's love. But he decided anyway to love his enemy. And friends, can I ask us all a question? Is that love in our hearts? Do we truly love people made in God's image, our enemies even, our friends? Do we love like this? I'll say without love, without love, we remain angry, violent, unforgiving, impatient, and enslaved, and that is no life. That is no way to live. So love Put on love, put on peace, number two. 
So peace flows out of love. You can't have peace in your heart without love preceding it. To be loved by God and to love him in return is to know peace. And I'll explain this. It says in verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. God's will for your life and for your heart is peace. God's will for his church, for God's people, his gathered people, is peace. It's love and it's peace. And peace really is a calm of mind. You don't have peace when your, your hearts are crippled by threats of people around you and you're afraid of all these threats, right? You don't have peace in your heart when you constantly feel like you're guilty, like you failed. You don't have peace in your heart when you're afraid of rejection. Someone's going to reject you. All of these things sort of plague our thinking, don't they? And it robs our peace. and We have no peace. That's not the peace of Jesus. Friends, God has called us to not just have peace, but to have the peace of Christ. You see that? Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. And that's so important to kind of get that, to get that prepositional phrase, the peace of Christ. Not the peace that comes from like you got a new job and you make lots of money now so you're safe. How many people have felt a certain sort of kind of calming if that's ever happened to you? You're freaking out. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? You get a phone call. Hey, we want to hire you, 100K a year. Oh. Ah, you get in your car. You start driving with the windows down. You're singing the Beach Boys, right? You got peace. We all know that sort of peace, and it's short-lived. Two weeks later, we're complaining again, right? We make all this money, but now we're not happy because no one respects me at work. Right? This, there's no peace. Because now maybe there are people in our workplace that are rejecting us. Friends, we have the peace of Christ. And here's the difference. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus, he gives you his protection, his love, and his acceptance. He promises them to you. So that you never need to fear again ever losing those things. He is our assurance of acceptance, of love, of forgiveness, and of ultimate safety. There's no guilt in Christ because he's removed it at the cross. So all the ways that you failed that you feel guilty for, you can lay it at the cross and they're gone forever. And you're innocent. And he sees you as innocent. So you can stop feeling guilty and being robbed of the peace of a pure heart. Right? Oh, oh, fear of loss. Well, God is with you even to the ends of the earth. Do you see the birds and the sparrows? How I feed them and clothe them. Do you see the lilies of the field? They neither toil nor spin, yet they're more beautiful than Solomon. You see, aren't you who are more precious than a sparrow and than a flower? Won't I take care of you, my children, just as I take care of these? You see, God announced to the Son, Jesus Christ, the same thing that he announces to us when we're found in Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? You're my son. I love you. You're my children. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. I know what you need and what you want. I know what your name is. I have the hairs on your head counted. You see, you can have peace when the love of Christ abides in you because you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus, there's nothing to fear. And because there's nothing to fear, there's no need to make war. 
And friends, when you're not at war, there's peace. You see, we think of war a lot of times with two people throwing rocks at each other or shooting guns at each other. But isn't, it, isn't there a war in here? God, give you, God, God can quiet that war and give you peace when it's founded in his love. And so often we're at war in the church, at our offices, and our families. We're fighting, constantly fighting a war. We have no peace because we have forgotten that the war has been settled in Christ that he is the victor, that he is one. Any injustice done to you, he has reversed. Period. He's the victor, the winner. The issues are settled. The verdict is in. You're safe. You're not forgotten. You're forgiven. You're loved. And you're destined for all of these forever in Christ. No one can take them from you ever. Wow. And, and by the way, number three, that's this new, the close of new life. Now you can really learn to be thankful, to have gratitude, love, peace, gratitude. It says in verse 15, and be thankful. That person left me. I'm thankful. That person slan- is slandering me. I'm thankful. I lost my job. I'm thankful. Why? Not because I'm nuts. Right? I'm not insane. And not because injustice doesn't matter. Injustice does matter. But the reason I can be thankful is because when I'm found in Christ, in relationship, when I'm wed to him, when I'm new, right? I know that God will never leave me. He will never leave me like that person did. He will never slander me like that person did. And he'll never fire me like that company did. You see, I'm his forever by his promise and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Everything I need and want, I have in Christ so that I can lose so much in life and still be thankful because he's going to give it all back to me. You know, the Greek word for thankful, it's really interesting. It's Eucharistoi. It's a funny word, right? What does it kind of remind you of, though? Eucharistoi. Eucharist. That's right. What's the Eucharist? For you faithful Catholic, maybe there's some good Catholics in the room. What is, it, what is the Eucharist? The Eucharist is in the Catholic Church, it's the, it's the Lord's Supper, right? It's the Christian ceremony celebrating the Last Supper. It's the Eucharist. The word Eucharist in Greek, it's got two words in there. Um, EU is like a, like a prefix and it means good like a eulogy you know eulogies are like a good word when someone dies right so eucharist good charis eucharist charis is the Greek word for grace or gift isn't that interesting the word that we use for thankfulness reminds us of a good gift we've been given a good gift so we're thankful so how do we be thankful when our wives or our husbands leave us or cheat on us? How do we be thankful when someone slanders us or betrays us? How, that's not a good gift. And certainly not. And those things should grieve us. Those things should bring tears to our, to our eyes. But all of the, the displeasure, all of 
what we've lost in life, here's where you get your thankfulness. What you get in Christ abounds all the more. There is a greater love and there is a greater provision and a greater acceptance. And by the way, that's what you needed and were after all along in those things that you lost. See, when you come to Christ and you realize that for the first time, that everything you were seeking after in life is actually found in relationship with Jesus, you're thankful in spite of your loss. That's why the Apostle Paul could be chained to a prison wall singing. Singing, thankfully, to the God who is the giver of all good gifts. Isn't that true? To be really thankful in your heart requires that we see the good gift of God, that what he's done for us in Christ is better than anything that we've ever lost. We have to see that or we'll lose our thankfulness. Declaring us his own, the unique object of his affection, and we'll never really know thankfulness until we see the good gift of God through Christ. Put on then love, peace, and thankfulness. It sounds a little bit idealistic, doesn't it? How do we pull it off? Okay, well, we need to get dressed. And this is where I want to just get a little practical with you. How often do you get dressed? Probably every day, right? You, ch- you didn't sleep in the clothes that you're in. Isn't that true? You probably, get, you probably change your clothes every day. How often do we clothe our naked body? Every single stinking day. Isn't that true? We slip on one pant leg of peace and the other pant leg of thankfulness every day. We need to remind ourselves of these things. The Bible says take off and put on. I've got to put this down because it's not in my head, my ear. So can I, can I have a volunteer? I need a volunteer. Give me a young person. I don't want, if, you're, if you're older and you have back problems, you might get hurt. So, or, or if you're older and strong, then come on up. Okay, I got a hand. Come on up. Who is that? Who raised their hand? Okay. Tom? Yeah. Here we go. Come on up. Come on up, buddy. Can you give him a round of applause? <laughs> okay, t- tell everyone your name. Mason. Okay, this is Mason. Mason, how old are you? 11. Mason's 11. Okay. So, Mason, can you put on that bag? Yeah, that bag right there. Put it on. <laughs> That's why I asked you. Is that comfortable? No. Oh. That is not comfortable. You know why it's not comfortable? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in it. I put a lot of paper in there. Paper's heavy. You ever have to move books in boxes? That's really heavy. D- would you want to walk around in that all day, Mason? There's always one. There's always one. You would prefer, though, wouldn't it be nice if all those books that were in there, wouldn't it be nice if it was on a Kindle? Like, a, 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 what's a Kindle? An iPad? An iPad? Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if all those books were on an iPad? Yeah, so you take all those out and then just put... You know, like, like or, or a phone, right? Okay, so, uh, so put that down and uh, take that off. That's ridiculous. Who wants to carry that around? And right, put, then put that coat on behind you. Take that off, put that on. Isn't that nice? I don't have nice coats, so, Mom. <laughs> Isn't that better? It's a little big for you. But, yeah, it's nice and light now. You can move around more freely. Isn't that great? Yeah, so, so isn't it better to take that off and put that on? Yeah. Okay, thank you. 
Can you give Mason a hand? That's all I wanted. <laughs> I tried putting the bag on that thing, but it tipped over. You need, friends, you need to get dressed. And getting dressed requires that you take off your nasty, stinky sweatpants. It requires, if you're going to get dressed, if you're going to be made new, it requires that you reflect, that you think. You know, every day before you go to bed, maybe this might sound nuts, but just make your clothes metaphorical. You're taking off your clothes, right? And, and you think to yourself, what do I need to take off? Who was I mad at today unnecessarily? What, I've, what, I've, what have I been afraid of all day? And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the good news of Jesus? How does it speak to that fear? You know, some of us have a fear that we're not going to have enough money. Right? You might have enough money, but you're always afraid, like, what if I lose my job and I need to save and, you know, times are tough. And you're just always afraid of that. You, you know, you, sometimes at the end of the day, you, you have to think, what, if, what was I afraid of today? What did I put a lot of thought in? Or maybe you were thinking, maybe your day was plagued by some way that you failed in the past, something that you did wrong. And all day you were, you were followed by that guilt. You're wearing it like that heavy bag. At the end of the day, you, you need to just think through, what is God telling me that I have the right to take off because of what Jesus did for me? That I don't need to be afraid of this. I don't need to carry guilt for this. I can take it off. And why? Don't just take it off. Put something else on. Don't just put on this fake love and peace. Put on the love and peace of Christ. That's what our text says. So how do we get dressed? It says it in verse 16. Let the message of Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. How do you put this stuff on? Well, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. The good news of Jesus found in his word from Genesis to Revelation, you need to answer the old clothes with the new clothes, with what Jesus has done for you. You need to take them off because you can take them off because God has given you the right and privilege because of what Christ has done for you to take them off so that you can put on new clothes, the clothes of forgiveness, the clothes of safety, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, Jesus says. So we don't just every single day speak good news of I got a new job or this nice thing happened to me. We let the message of Christ dwell in us. Let the good news of Jesus and the life it requires be so deeply implanted in you that it controls your every thought. So don't just pray, friends. Pray the word of God. Pray the good news of Jesus Christ. I remember Piper saying once, I can't pray without my Bible open in front of me because if I do that, I'll just end up praying selfishly all the time. I need to pray what God has said to me. So don't just pray. Pray the word. Don't just sing. Sing the word. Don't just gather together gather around the word. That's what this text tells us. Don't just encourage each other. In, you're a good guy, and I love your hair, and aren't you so smart? No. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, lift each other up. Because beauty is short-lived. Money is spent. But what Christ has done endures, and it's forever. 
And if you want hope, real hope, and real gladness, and real thankfulness, you, we all need to collectively remind ourselves that we don't get it from stuff. We get it from what Jesus has done for us and what he declares us to be. Oh, friends, number one, let the good news of Jesus, this is how you put on clothes. Let the good news of Jesus remind yourself of it. T- think about what you need to take off and put some th- the good news of Christ on, the message of Jesus on every single day. Maybe today, when, t- tonight, when you're, when you're going to bed and you're home and you're disrobing, right, and putting your pajamas on, maybe you can think about this sermon. What do I need to take off internally in my soul? And what do I need to put on in its place? So the good news of Jesus Christ is what we put on. Number two, do everything in the name of Jesus, it says. Everything in the name of Jesus. Now that's a challenge. Because there are things that we do at night but no one sees that are not in the name of Jesus. Isn't that true? There's a different sort of robe that we're putting on that we think will satisfy our lonely souls when it won't. But scripture says do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Every word spoken, every thought that you have. It means that all of our work, all of our deeds, and all of our thoughts should be made holy with Christ's presence. Christ is present in all those things. So I eat this apple in the name of Jesus Christ. I shaved and missed a spot in the name of Jesus Christ. Because I am able, without Jesus, I can't work, I can't eat, I can't shave, I can't taste, I can't think, my heart doesn't beat. Everything that I have and need depends on Jesus Christ, my creator. So everything I do is done in his name. It's done for him and for his glory and for his honor. And when I think like that, it just sort of naturally, I'm reminded, what clothes am I wearing right now? Whose name am I doing this in? You see, we think this is a burden. right? Oh, gosh, this sounds like a really difficult way to live. But this is what Scripture says. When you don't do this, that's what you carry around. And isn't it true? Take it off. Friends, take it off and put on Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we know that we need to change. We need to take off these old, tired clothes, these heavy clothes, and we need to put on Christ, his love, his peace, his kindness, his gentleness given to us so that we can do likewise to each other. I pray, Lord, that we see King Jesus all around us in everything and all of our experiences and that we would live in his name, live in his love, and sing his songs. I pray now that we, as, as we take 